talking about section 29, little plan of salvation. Yeah, I'm really interested in getting into this idea of what it means to be elect and how we become elect. To really understand the plan of salvation, the teachings of the Lord regarding why we're here, what we're doing, choices that we have, agency, millennium, second coming. I mean, it's just jam-packed with good stuff. Yeah, there's a lot. So welcome. Maybe before we get into our discussion, we can follow up on what we read. Yeah, let's do it. So one section today, Doctrine and Covenants section 29, Joseph is going to learn from Jesus Christ about the gathering of the elect, and he's also going to learn about the plan of salvation and focusing on agency. We're taught that the devil is going to be cast out, but allowed to tempt humankind for a small season. Uh, We also get a lot of events preceding the second coming of Christ. We're going to continue to talk about the resurrection. We're going to talk about the judgment, millennium. Mm -hmm. And we're also going to talk about children and those who have knowledge of the things of God and judgment and agency on that. We're going to focus in on two things specifically today, preparing ourselves for the second coming of the Lord and the Lord's plan of salvation. So in order to help us dive deeper into this section of the Doctrine and Covenants, we have invited our good friend, Anthony Sweat. Anthony, would you please join us up here? I'd love to. Thank you so much. So great to have you. Excited to be with you guys. Anthony Sweat is an associate professor of church history and doctrine at Brigham Young University. Uh, he has a bachelor's in painting, a PhD in curriculum and instruction, and you are the author of numerous books about art and Latter-day Saint history. So, Tony, to start us off, in this section, what was meaningful for you? What was significant? What do we need to understand as we go into this? Section 29 can kind of get a bad rap because, like, verse 18 is all about flies and destruction, and this section is not a destruction, sad section. It's very hopeful. The very first verses, 1 through 6, are all about mercy and I forgive your sins and lift up your heads and rejoice. It's a positive section uh, for those who choose to believe in Christ, not a fearful section. That's, that's one of the things about this section I think that's really important that we need to know is it's not just the second coming, but it's really a section that has a lot more than that. We're talking about the preparation for the second coming as well as the entire plan of salvation in a yeah. sense. So before we get into the verses themselves, can you give us a little bit of a historical context of section 29? One of the big things that's happening in church history right now is Hiram Page in the section before at the September conferences just said, I think I know where the city of Zion is going to be built. And so that's on their minds is number one, where's the city of Zion and what are, what's Zion for? And then another big thing that's going on in context is Joseph Smith is translating the book of Moses. So Joseph has just translated Moses chapters two through five, which are all about the creation, the fall, the atonement, the rebellion of Lucifer. So all of those are going to come together in this revelation, coupled in together with Zion and the second coming. So let's go through some of these verses then. One of the things that you were talking about specifically, um, Daniel, was that idea of the elect. Yeah, absolutely. So in verses 8 through 25, you get some of the events of the last days. So for example, you have uh, the gathering of the elect together, signs in heaven and earth, tribulation, etc. One of the questions I have is what precisely does it mean to be gathered or elect? And so in verse uh, 7, You are called to bring to pass the gathering of mine elect. For mine elect hear my voice and harden not their hearts. It's our choice how we choose to respond. Look at all these verses about how you get to choose to be elect. Verse 35, behold, I give unto him that he should be an agent unto himself. Verse 45, you and I will receive wages of whom they list to obey. So over and over again in this section, it's trying to settle in on you can choose righteousness. You have agency, a fundamental Latter-day Saint doctrine. Just by way of summary, if I understand you correctly, you're saying during this time, there were people believing that God chose them to be saved. 
Yeah. But Joseph Smith is saying, no, it's actually that we, by the exercise of our agency, we choose to be elect. Yeah, he's trying to reverse what's going on at the time, and he'll even use Adam and Satan almost as opposites. Mm-hmm. Satan chose to rebel, mm-hmm. and the third part in the premortal life. Adam chose to yield to Satan's uh, influence in the garden. However, he also chose to repent. Mm -hmm. So it is almost like he's contrasting at this time to say, it is not out of our control. Uh, we, We make our own choices. Going back to verse seven here, if being elect is contingent upon us hearing God's voice and not hardening our hearts, hearing God's voice is is pretty, I think, self-explanatory. We're listening, we're obeying, I assume. Uh, Hardening not our hearts. I'm wondering, that's a little bit more abstract. What might it mean to, to not harden our hearts or to have a soft heart? What do you think that implies? I thought about Amulek, um, because Amulek, when he was called by Alma, he said that he was called many times, but he would not hear. He still would not change his life. So Amulek, at one point, he was having a hard heart, but it wasn't until he actually welcomed the chosen man of God, Alma, into his life and listened to his words that he softened his heart and actually acted on the things that God was telling him the whole time. If I'm not mistaken, Amulek said something to the effect of, I knew, but I would not know. Or something like that, right? This idea that he knew truth, but he wasn't ready to act on it. When I hear hard-hearted, the opposite to that, to me, is to be meek or humble. And that's what I think. I need to make sure I'm being humble in heart and teachable and not being offended and not worrying about anything else, but making sure that I'm ready to be taught by the Savior. Yeah, that's really good. We were talking, I mean, we've been talking about the elect and what that means and this idea of agency. I think that's one of the fascinating things about this word to gather as well. President Nelson, again, has been speaking a lot about the gathering of Israel recently. And I love his definition of what it means to gather. When we speak of the gathering, we are simply saying this fundamental truth. Every one of our Heavenly Father's children on both sides of the veil deserves to hear the message of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. They decide for themselves if they want to know more. So our job is to decide to be a part of the gathering, but everyone has a chance to decide if they want to be gathered or in other words, if they want to be a part of this elect. I mean, whenever I read, you know, section 29 or I think it's section 45 that also talks about it, Matthew 24, we have these long lists of signs and events that are gonna happen before the second coming. And you recognize, oh, these are already happening. Some of them aren't. And of course you have these verses elsewhere which talk about um, how no person knows when exactly the time is. If you did know that Christ was gonna come in 365 days, how would that change the way you live your life? I think I'd try to like improve myself in my house and at school and with my friends. It would kind of like be an everlasting reminder that I need to be the best person I can be. Yeah, and I think that's maybe some of the some of the point in why we don't know where it is is to kind of help us be focused on those things in the present, right? Listening to this conversation 50 years ago, I remember being a teenager and having people in the ward say, "You're the generation." And that was 50 years ago. But when you just said, what would it be like if Christ came in a year? I don't know. Maybe I still have a lot of work to do before I'm who the Savior needs me to be. You know, I think every generation, clear back in Jesus' time, you have the apostles asking Jesus, like, when are you returning? Is it going to be tonight? Should we cook dinner? And the question is not necessarily, when will it be? But circling back to, how do I know if I'm ready? Am I choosing to be part of the covenant? Yeah. Am I choosing to gather myself into covenant Israel? If your answer is yes to that, then you are prepared. 
individually and personally, I believe. There's a great quote by Elder Bednar from the October 2020 General Conference, and he just says this, now is the time to prepare and prove ourselves willing and able to do all things whatsoever the Lord our God shall command us. I mean, that's what we're preparing for. We're preparing to be obedient, Zion-like people who have made a choice to follow God no matter what. And back then, all the way through today, that's what we're preparing for. We're trying to be the kind of people that will follow God no matter what. And if Christ comes today, great. If he comes tomorrow, great. If he doesn't come for a thousand years, it doesn't really matter. Our preparation is, will we be obedient to God? Yeah. So recently I've been asked that question. A lot of people would ask me, do you think you're ready for a second coming? And that got me wondering what other people think about it. So, you know, my friends, my family, I would always ask them. And I came to a conclusion that if you're better than you were yesterday, you're fine. Like one day you'll turn back and you'll be closer than you've ever been to Christ. Yeah, and I think it's important to remember too, the expectation, of course, isn't perfection or flawlessness, but it's, again, are you on the right trajectory? Are you trying to live true to your covenants? Are you progressing? This has been a great discussion on the preparation for the second coming. Great scriptures as well. Thank you. Maybe we can transition now into uh, this idea you were talking about before, how section 29 really talks about the whole plan of salvation. Let me just kind of walk you through and let's look at some of these things we learn about the plan of salvation from some of these verses. Verse 36 is the first reference that we get in this entire dispensation to the pre-mortal life. And it came to pass that Adam being tempted of the devil, for behold, the devil was before Adam, for he rebelled against me. That's the devil, not Adam. This is pre-mortal life. Saying, give me thine honor, which is my power or God's power. The thing that this is revealing that the adversary wanted, you know, sometimes we say it's all about choice and agency and Satan wanted to force us. I think verse 36 is trying to tell us it's more about power. Satan wanted power. And he actually kind of looked at God and said, I want to be you. I want to sit on your throne. Give me your power. Give me your priesthood, your position. And when God said, well, you have to go through this plan, that's when Satan rebels and says, no, I want to do things my own way. It kind of shows that one of the ultimate purposes of life is to say, am I going to submit myself to God or am I going to try to do things my own way all the time? Then, so after you get that, then you get the Garden of Eden. The issue is not so much if they partook of the fruit, it's who are they listening to? Who are they taking instructions from? And look at verse 40, wherein he became subject to the will of the devil. He was taking directions from the wrong source. So then we get the fall, and he gets cast out in verse 41. Then we get in verse 43, I, the Lord God, appointed a man the days of his probation. So we have this probationary period now where you and I, again back to the theme of the section, can choose to obey. Then he says Christ will come again, but there's going to be some signs. Look at verse 14. Before this great day, The sun will be darkened, the moon will be turned to blood, the stars will fall from heaven. And then the Lord says, I will come. Now look at verse 11. I will reveal myself from heaven with power and great glory, with all the hosts thereof, and dwell in righteousness with men on earth a thousand years, and the wicked shall not stand. So then we get this thousand-year period of peace. Now jump over to verse 22. When the thousand years are ended and men again begin to deny their God... Then will I spare the earth for a little season. At the end of this thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth, people will turn rebellious again and use their agency poorly. And then he'll say, done, enough. Now look at verse 23. 
and the end shall come and the heaven and earth shall be consumed and pass away and there shall be a new heaven and a new earth. And as prophets have taught, this world will become celestialized and the meek will inherit it. And so you have this chronology that the Lord is giving. And even when we go to heaven, look at verse 24. All old things shall pass away. All things shall become new, even the heaven and the earth and the fullness thereof, both of men and, what do you notice there? Beasts. There is an animal redemption in some way in heaven. And in verse 25, not one hair, neither moat shall be lost, for it's the workmanship of mine hands. Those are some beautiful verses where the Lord's saying, I will redeem, I will save, I'll bring things back. Beautiful section as a whole. We all respond to these verses maybe differently. Princess, I know you were baptized fairly recently. I'm wondering, what was it about the plan of salvation that maybe attracted you or drew you? How did you respond to it once you first heard it? Whenever I would read the scriptures or just really be around other members of the church, um, I just knew something was different about it. And um, after a long time of praying and continuing to read the scripture and continue to talk with friends, I just knew like it was true and I couldn't deny it at that point. So um, I knew I had to make a choice. And so I choose to follow what's right. What's incredible about that, Princess, is that's the same choice you have been making since pre-mortality. You, you've made a choice in pre-mortal life to follow Jesus. You've made a choice in mortality now to follow Jesus, and you will continue to make that choice in the next life. I mean, that's, that's the test. That's the probation is, are you willing to follow Jesus Christ or not? And as, as members of the church, we are given a spe specific covenants and things that, that you have participated in, and you've been able to find those. Thank you. That's, that's really powerful. Thanks so much. So I think we actually have a video from one of our at-home viewers that, that gets to this as well. Hi, my name is Dorian and I am from Taiwan. I love learning about the plan of salvation, but instead of just remembering there's a plan of salvation in times of trial, how do you draw a deeper appreciation for the plan of salvation um, in your day-to-day -day life and not just when you face a life crisis? What a great question. We'd just like to throw this out to you. So how is it? How, how do you make the plan of salvation or draw upon the plan of salvation in a, in a deeper way daily? I think for me, after coming home from a mission a couple years ago um, and just seeing like the joy and like seeing the hope in my investigators' eyes as I taught them the plan of salvation and see like the hope that it brings to them, I think for me, like coming home, it really makes me like want to apply the plan of salvation more into my life. Um, so I like try to spend more time with my family and I try to cherish every single day with them. And so that's how I apply the plan of salvation in my life. That's beautiful, thank you. So Tony, you're in the unique position where you probably teach something about the plan of salvation every day or study about it or write about it. I'm wondering if studying and paying so much attention to it and teaching it so often, has it become stale to you or has it become more meaningful the doctrines of the plan of salvation are so beautiful that even though I teach and write and speak about them every single day, uh, they give purpose to every day of my life. Uh, the idea that you and I have divine potential and can choose the plan and, and develop divine attributes. You know, one thing this section doesn't touch on that later sections of Joseph Smith touch on is it's not just about you and I trying to be saved with Christ, but it's about us trying to learn to become like Christ. Uh, that gives meaning to everything I do in my everyday life of trying to develop those divine attributes. So no, it, it doesn't get old to me. 
I also think in trying to help other people understand the importance of the plan of salvation and the role of Jesus Christ in our lives, it becomes more real. And she's asking, how can we do this? My, my husband and I just adopted two little girls recently. And gosh, we are studying the scriptures in a different way. We're teaching two little girls about Adam and Eve for the first time. They'd never heard of Adam and Eve. And we're teaching them about eternal family. And then we're still in the temple and we're just watching these girls blossom as they're starting to realize what the plan of salvation is. And you don't have to adopt two girls and you don't have to be a, a full-time missionary, but I think you have to care about people. I think you have to have those Christ-like attributes where you want so badly to give somebody what we have. And maybe perhaps if we aren't feeling that, we can pray and ask Heavenly Father, give us people to love. I just love that the plan of salvation it applies to everyone like we've been talking about. Whether you're having kids and you're thinking about them joining us here in this mortal life, or you have parents that are passing, it is there for every stage of your life. And there's joy and beauty knowing that it's perfectly planned for and that there is hope that even if this part of your position in this plan of salvation isn't awesome, that there will be better coming and that we are entitled to that better regardless of who we are and where we join Christ's team along that journey. We get to jump right in and we get the same blessings. And that's how it is really alive every single day is that you are in it right now and it's always going to be a perfect plan. Yeah. yeah. And as you were saying, I was thinking of how my appreciation for it has increased as I've had to have hope in it. You know, it's yeah. when my sick, my wife is sick or my kid is sick or something like that, where I have nothing else but to hope that they can get better, to hope that if they don't, there's, you know, we can be together again. So it's, I think the natural product of our difficult lives is sometimes like we're forced to turn upward and to, to have exercise that faith. And in so doing, we, we gain a greater appreciation for this gift that God has given us. Yeah. This question of how do we find joy in the day-to-day -day plan of salvation, there's some verses in section 29. The Lord says in verse 34, Verily I say unto you, all things unto me are spiritual. Not at any time have I given unto you law that was temporal. Neither any man nor the children of men, not even Adam your father whom I created. Just reiterates to me that nothing that we're going through in this temporal existence is purely temporal. In day-to-day -day life, the plan of salvation gives me an eternal perspective on daily things, joys and difficulties that give a lot more meaning and a lot more perspective to what we're doing on this earth. President Uchtdorf said, when it was President Uchtdorf, he said it's temporal and spiritual is like two sides of a coin. Yeah. It's, it's two sides, but it's the same coin. You can't have one without the other. Yeah, I, I remember one time on Fast Sunday, and I remember thinking like, why does it matter if I eat this? I'm going to eat it in a few hours anyway. Like, <laughs> what is this all about? <laughs> it dawned on me, if I can develop the self-discipline to say, I'm going to let that alone, even though it's right in front of me then I'll be able to let sins alone that are right in front of me that could really damage my spiritual progression. And suddenly a temporal law like fasting turned very spiritual for me. And I think the Lord's trying to get it with everything he's doing with us on this, this earth. He's saying, I have a spiritual purpose and it's all about your, your growth and progress. And it seems to be kind of inseparably linked to this idea of agency, as you're saying, like the yeah. effort it takes to choose certain things. It, it has a spiritual effect on us. It, in the same way that we build muscle by tearing it, essentially, like we build our spiritual muscles by that effort and that struggle that's necessary for us making right choices. Yeah, and it's our choice, mm -hmm. how we choose to view it and respond to it. So ever since becoming a member, things still aren't perfect or easy. And I realized like almost immediately after I got baptized, life just got 10 times harder. But I was still filled with a lot of joy because I knew that I had 
all the resources that I needed to get through it and like become better and um, to help other people because I knew I wanted to give other people what I had just received. And now I know that that's my purpose, continue to gather Israel and bring other people to Christ. Thank you, Princess. President Nelson talks about this gathering idea. And again, speaking to youth, he says, my dear extraordinary youth, you were sent to earth at this precious time, the most crucial time in the history of the world to help gather Israel. There is nothing happening on this earth right now that is more important than that. There is nothing of greater consequence, absolutely nothing. This gathering should mean everything to you. This is the mission for which you were sent to this earth. We all gather Israel in different ways. It could be a myriad of things that we're doing that we are bringing people to Christ. And that is what Christ is doing. This is, this is really the purpose of the plan of salvation. You know, we've been talking about how does the plan of salvation help us in just our everyday, yeah. which definitely does. But let's not forget that the biggest challenge really in mortality is sin and death. And a big message of section 29 is Christ will conquer both of those. And in verse 42, he says, I say unto you that I, the Lord God, gave unto Adam and unto his seed, which is us, that they should not die as to the temporal death. That's a hint at the resurrection. And when we lose those that we love, there are no greater truths in the plan than that Christ says, I will break those bonds of death for every person, for all. Beautiful. One of the ideas and one of the verses that really stands out to me, and perhaps it's a principle that's critical, is in verse 25 for me, I love this verse where the Lord is saying, and not one hair, neither moat shall be lost, for it is the workmanship of my hand. And just this idea that, you know, we had this entire plan of salvation and the Lord has an infinite number of creations and everything else, but yet God is aware of the moat. He is aware of one hair. I just love this idea of we have this, this God that's over everything, but he is able to understand and he knows me and he knows the trials and he knows the situations of those that I love and nothing is too small for God. No one is too small for God. So maybe we could explore that a little bit. How has your knowledge of the plan of salvation influenced you? How has God been present with you in your trials? How has he manifested that he knows who you are personally and individually? So I grew up in China where you're not allowed to say about our church at all. And I prayed really hard and one day in my prayers, I heard God like calling me by name and it was just so powerful that he knows me and there's a purpose of me staying, you know, in China. I just know for a fact that it's really powerful when you have the testimony within you and just believing in this um, plan of salvation that it is true. Yeah, yeah, that would be very difficult. But all the people in China, he knew you. So my family, we moved to Australia and I knew things were really tough for our family, but I remember walking into my mom's room and I saw her crying for the first time. And I said, hey, mom, you know, it's okay. We can go back to Korea if things are too hard for you. And she said, even if no one knows what I'm going through, I know Heavenly Father does. And that's when I first gave my testimony on you know, the plan of salvation and knowing you know, how much God loves us and how much he knows each one of us. And I know that any trial we go through in life will be worth it in the end. There is such strength that comes from people who also believe in the plan of salvation. I would imagine everyone in here, if you really thought about it, we, we have all gained courage through watching other people go through difficult trials that had a testimony of Jesus Christ and had a testimony of the plan of salvation. Beautiful comment, especially about your mother. Thank you.
This plan of salvation that God has given to us is real. I can't begin to imagine what Joseph Smith must have felt like and those people who are hearing this section of the Doctrine and Covenants for the first time and the Lord is revealing all of these truths and how exciting they must have been as they were just listening to this. They'd never heard it before, but for the first time, these early saints in the 1830 are hearing those truths that in some ways we, we take for granted, but this is foundational to everything we believe. It's been a fantastic discussion regarding the plan of salvation, so thank you. Thank you, Tony, especially. We really appreciate your context. We appreciate your teaching and your stories. We'd like to thank our audience as well. We've had some wonderful thoughts and insights and, and discussions. To those of you at home, thank you for your comments and questions and suggestions. Uh, we'd love to have you here in the studio with us sometime, but if you can't, uh, we hope you'll watch next week on Come Follow Up. Thanks a lot. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.